0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: The State Department has spent years trying to unravel a medical mystery. Since 2016, dozens of diplomats overseas have reported sudden bouts of dizziness, cognitive problems, and hearing loss brought about with no underlying conditions. The department stood up a Health Incident Response Task Force to lead an interagency investigation, but the specific source of the maladies remains unknown. For more on where the task force goes from here... Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the task force senior advisor, Ambassador Pamela Spratlin.
0: My job is to kind of be the connective tissue for all of that and to work in a couple of other areas to improve our interagency coordination and streamline and standardize some of our protocols so that they are both well-known and implemented throughout the department and the interagency process. We're just trying to figure out what is the best way to manage this issue. As I won't say that the Cuba and China issues have faded into the past. They have not. But we want to be prepared to deal with this issue as it evolves. So the priority is always going to be protecting people mitigating the damage and working with the interagency community to see if we can figure out exactly what happened. Looking at the
1: structure of what you inherited coming into this position, are there any low hanging fruit from your perspective of things that could be better coordinated or things that could be better integrated across various bureaus to make sure that some of these thornier questions
0: are better addressed? there really isn't any low-hanging fruit in this because so many aspects of it remain murky. But in terms of what we can do better, I think one of the, the things we can do better is look at how we are informing our staff, just in terms of our internal communication, to make sure that everyone is aware that You know, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the symptoms. And one of the interesting things about the symptoms is that they are often associated with everyday things that might happen to people in other contexts. And so one of the hard things, uh, particularly for our medical division, has been to figure out what makes this set of symptoms in this context unique and how do we actually know that this is something that we need to pursue for a special reason. And I think that the work continues to make sure that those questions are being asked not only for us inside of State Department, but since we are the platform for the whole interagency community abroad, uh, for all the people who are under chief of mission authority and security responsibility, we want to be sure that we're asking those questions and making sure that employees know that if something happens, what are the procedures for um, getting assistance as soon as possible? I think that's an area of refinement that the department has been working on and that I think the work is accelerating on. This has always been an interagency issue, but we're really in the last few weeks, I think, trying to make sure the interagency process works well. And there, just to try to figure out how can we communicate better? How can we share information better? I think those kinds of things are not low-hanging fruit, but something that is evident that we need to work on as a U.S. government community.
1: What have some of the symptoms been like that are, I guess, the common denominators for State Department personnel who have exhibited the symptoms of Havana syndrome or whatever you
0: choose to call it? Let's unpack that perhaps a little bit more. It's a good good question because sometimes people do use the expression Havana syndrome, but that kind of dresses it up and makes it seem like there's a very specific and standard list that you could go to as if you were talking about something that you might look up on WebMD. But in fact, there is no specific definition, even though diplomats and some of their family members have experienced a range of symptoms that the medical profession has been able to kind of look at and identify. Some of the specific symptoms have included dizziness, headaches, balance problems, visual problems, cognitive problems, hearing loss, and other symptoms. Often the symptoms are preceded by a noise or a feeling of pressure, and the duration and severity of these symptoms has varied across individuals and across the individual circumstances and incidents. The good news is that the vast majority of people who have been affected have recovered, but some do endure long-term effects. And even some of those who have improved are living with discomfort and symptoms that go on. So our goal is to make sure we know about these symptoms as soon as possible after the event so that we can begin a process of getting people the care that they need. But as you can hear from this list of symptoms, these symptoms can be associated with other things. So I think often the case is that it's not just one thing that people are experiencing, but a complement of these symptoms. But some people will experience some and not others. Sometimes there will be a noise and other times there will be no noise. Sometimes the onset of the symptoms is severe and direct and immediate. Sometimes it takes a while for the symptoms to kick in. So because there has been such uh, variability It has been a challenge to figure out how best to support people and get them the care they need. There is no doubt a lot of unanswered questions here to unpack and further
1: address in the coming years. But I imagine there's also some preliminary fact finding that has gone on already. I understand some of that information is probably sensitive in nature, and I understand that. But at a very high level here, what does the State Department know currently as far as likely scenarios that led to
0: State Department personnel exhibiting these kinds of symptoms. One thing that we have learned is that it's often very hard to establish clear patterns in this. I just like to say that our investigation into what would cause these types of injuries is, of course, ongoing. And while it's still unclear what caused these unexplained incidents, there are multiple theories out there. And um, the department continues to work closely with both scientists, with academia and the interagency community, not only to find out what is happening to our diplomats, but also to determine the most effective countermeasures and also the best care. So just in terms of not so much scenarios, but what were some of the ideas about what might have caused this, there were a number of different theories that had to do with perhaps the impact of insecticides because uh, Cuba, they were going through a Zika uh, episode at the time most many of these events uh, took place. Perhaps uh, there might be some other cause What ended up happening was the department contracted with the National Academy of Sciences. And of course, this is an entity that's extremely erudite. We have some of our very, very best scientists. And they started looking at a variety of possible causes. And what they concluded is that the kinds of things that people were demonstrating through their health were most consistent with what they called pulsed radio frequency microwaves. And this is, you know, very, very fast microwaves. And while some people have suggested that this is not possible, that's what the National Academy of Sciences concluded. There was also a, a partnership established with the Centers for Disease Control also looking at this issue. And while each of these collaborations was important and we learned some things, the basic fact is that we're still perplexed about what exactly happened. So the pulsed radio frequency seems to be the leading kind of idea about what might have caused this, but it's not the only idea out there.
1: Ambassador Pamela Spratlin, senior advisor to the State Department's Health Incident Response Task Force, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
2: We now bring you a special presentation from our
1: friends at WEPA.
2: Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader. All of these are backward-looking development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I, think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space, The federal government, it's over 2 million employees, great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks, and what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves. And they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other, and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, Empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee, Uh, He joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, Still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, I've led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service.
0: This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on, and you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at griffelsplasma.com